Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of baptism, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. In the previous broadcasts, I was talking about the baptism of Peter and the baptism of Philip, and the thing that you need to understand about the baptisms of the apostles, especially during the early years of the ministry of the apostles after the Lord Jesus died and rose from the dead, the main emphasis of their baptisms was an extension of the baptism of John, John the Baptist. When John the Baptist came on the scene, he encouraged people to be baptized as a means of repentance. He was also baptizing in order to identify the Messiah, but his baptism for the common person, for the regular people there in Israel, was a baptism of repentance, and he explained that people needed to turn to the Mosaic Law. The disciples were baptized in this baptism of repentance. The disciples were baptizing others into this baptism of repentance. The Lord Jesus was teaching people to repent, to live a life of repentance and obedience to the Mosaic Law. His focus, the focus of the ministry of the Lord Jesus, was to teach people to obey God. That was the covenant that was in effect. And, of course, the end result of this is that it will lead a person to the point of total despair when they recognize that there is no way that they can possibly be as perfect as God. As Jesus explained to them that they needed to pursue that when he gave the Sermon on the Mount and when he said other things during his ministry, that he encouraged people to do that. And the reason why I believe he encouraged people to do that was to lead them to the point where they would be ready to receive the grace and mercy of God. Now, after he died and rose from the dead, the apostles then took up his message and they extended the baptism of John by including the message that people are now to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But what do they do after they believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, they continue to repent and obey. They continue to be devoted to a life of obedience to the Mosaic Law. That is what the apostles were teaching, and we have lots of evidence to show that. For example, in Acts chapter 15, they were discussing the question as to whether or not the Gentiles needed to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law if they were saved. This was an issue that they never really resolved in Jerusalem. There was a meeting, of course, where Paul attended, Barnabas attended, Peter spoke up at that meeting. This is what's recorded in Acts chapter 15. But the resolution, the resolution addressed the issues concerning the Gentiles, that they did not have to be obedient. However, the Jews, well, that was another story. So what I want you to see is that the apostles were beginning to live a life in pursuit of perfection as Jesus commanded when he said, Obey all that I commanded. They were continuing this way of life, and the expectation, of course, is that they would eventually reach the end of themselves, but this didn't happen for a long time, if ever. It didn't happen for a long time. 
We know that Paul confronted Peter over this issue. In Galatians chapter 2, Peter stepped aside from the Gentiles to go and eat with the Jews because he was concerned as to whether or not he was going to be obedient to the laws of Moses with respect to the dietary laws. We know that this was an issue that existed in the church all the way up until after the Apostle Paul was well known, he was very active, he was ministering to people all over the world. We know that this was an issue, and I'm mentioning this in order to show you, in order to explain to you, that the apostles, the original disciples, the people in Jerusalem, they were reaching a certain point, or reaching out to a certain point. They were attempting to live a life that they could not live, but they had not fully embraced the reality of that yet. The apostle Paul, however, he had already reached the top. He had already reached this point. His testimony bears this out. His testimony makes this very clear, that he had achieved a level of obedience in his mind and in the minds of others. He had achieved a point where he was well beyond his contemporaries. He had already reached a point that the disciples had not yet reached. He had reached a level, a lifestyle, of such devotion that no one could compare with him. When he got saved, when the Lord Jesus saved him personally, when that happened, the Apostle Paul started from the point where the other apostles had not yet arrived. In other words, the other apostles were trying to live a life of perfection. The Apostle Paul felt that he had already achieved a life of perfection, and so now the Lord Jesus is going to take him from that point of failure from that point of discovery that he had reached a point of absolute failure and despair and that there was no way he was ever going to live in obedience to all the commandments, the Lord Jesus was able to take him from that point forward, whereas the other disciples were still left behind. They were stuck behind, stuck in the issues of the law. They were still struggling with the issues of the law, whereas the Apostle Paul was ready to move past those. This is why the Apostle Paul matured so much more than the other apostles did. Not because he had more years ahead of them. It wasn't because of the time involved. It was only because of the place that he was at where they had not yet arrived. He was at a place where he was ready to put the law aside. That's the issue. And why he was able to communicate the implications of what Jesus accomplished through forgiveness that no one else had ever done. The Apostle Paul was able to begin to communicate, just get started, but at least get started, communicating the implications of what Jesus had accomplished. Implications such as being set free from the law. Implications such as now being able to walk, being guided by the Holy Spirit on the basis of what he has given to us, not on the basis of what we think we are going to do for him. Again, we are now able to live on the basis of what he has already done, what he has already accomplished, not live a life of now trying to accomplish or do something for our God. This was introduced by the Apostle Paul and no other. This is clearly brought out in the scriptures. As we go through the New Testament, we can see he is the only one who understood this. He is the only one who perpetuated this. And this got him into a lot of trouble, especially with the apostles in Jerusalem. This got him into a lot of trouble, many conflicts. 
In Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul's testimony was that, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. In verse 14, he says, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. He explains clearly that he received the message of the gospel from the Lord Jesus and the implications of that had an effect in his life for at least three years before he went to Jerusalem. And in the previous program, I was explaining that he had no alternative. He had nowhere else to go. He could not go to Jerusalem because he knew what the apostles were teaching in Jerusalem. He knew what people were believing there and what they were doing there. They were trying to achieve what he had already achieved, which was a life of obedience beyond many of his contemporaries, beyond many people. He had already exceeded the expectations of many. He had exceeded a life of obedience beyond what the apostles were trying to achieve now. There was nowhere to go. There was no one to listen to. The only one he had available to him was the living God himself. And I sincerely believe that that is why the living God could speak to him in a way that he could not speak to others because of where they were at versus where the Apostle Paul was at in his journey and in his discovery of his own personal failure. When did he discover his failure? When did he realize that he was not as impressive as he thought he was? That was when the Lord Jesus struck him with blindness. In Acts chapter 9, in Acts chapter 9, the Lord Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 3, it says, As he was traveling, it happened that when he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now let me explain something to you. And that is that for Paul to be hit with blindness by the divine, by the living God, according to his beliefs according to what he believed in Pharisaical Judaism about blindness, that this was a divine judgment for his sin. I explained this in a program I did on the healing of the man who was born blind. 
a very important set of programs. I did two programs on the healing of the man born blind where I explained this and the implications of what Jesus did when he healed the man who was born blind, what it meant to the Pharisees. It was a unique miracle that they believed only the Messiah would perform. For the Apostle Paul to be struck with blindness, that would tell him that he was under the divine judgment of God because of his sin. And he sat there for three days, not eating or drinking. What do you suppose he was thinking about, folks? What do you suppose he was doing, just sitting there? Do you think he was just waiting and not thinking about anything and just waiting without considering what the implications were here? No, he knew what was going on. He realized that he had sinned, and it wasn't just a matter of persecuting the church. Oh, no, because his entire life had been a life of not sinning. Of course, he sinned, but from his point of view, his whole life was devoted to that. What more could he do? What more could he add to his way of life to ensure that he would never sin? How could he continue to live? What could he add on top of the lifestyle that he was already living? That's the point, folks, is that there was nothing. This was the end. This was a point where the Lord Jesus showed him that the only thing he had left was the grace and mercy of God. There was nothing left. There was nothing more that he could do to repent and obey because he had already done everything humanly possible. And it still wasn't enough. It's my opinion that he reached a point of total despair, which is a point that we all truly need to come to. And with Paul reaching this point and experiencing this revelation of himself and the revelation of the Lord Jesus, he is now ready to put the law aside and to walk according to the new covenant, to no longer live a life of pursuing the blessings of God, to no longer live a life of trying to do something for God, to no longer try to live a life of repentance or obedience, but to now live a life on the basis of the forgiveness that we have, on the basis of all that the Lord Jesus has given to us as a result of his death, that we have truly received all that we need for life and godliness. And I believe that Paul was ready, he was truly ready to walk in this newness of life and to recognize that no matter how hard he tried, he was never going to be able to get all of the sin out of his life and he now has to walk trusting in the forgiveness and in the mercy that his God has for him. The other apostles had not yet reached this point. They were still struggling with this issue. But the apostle Paul did, and I believe that that is why he then exceeded the other apostles who believed in Jesus and why his message has survived to this day because it truly is the message of our God that we have been set free from the law so that we can walk according to the grace of God. It is no longer us who live, but it is he who lives within and through us. The Lord Jesus sent Paul to the Gentiles. And this is very critical to see, and that is that even though Peter spoke to the Gentiles, and the Lord opened the door to the Gentiles to be saved through the Apostle Peter. Even though that took place, the Lord sent the Apostle Paul to the Gentiles. Now, normally people think that when it comes to evangelism, it's better to send somebody who is, in our opinion, better prepared to reach out to people who believe certain things. And what I mean by that is that while Paul was very well known in Pharisaical Judaism, and he was very well versed 
in Pharisaical Judaism, you would expect that perhaps he would go to the Pharisees, that he would be a good candidate to reach out to these people because he knew them so well, because he knew their beliefs so well. But no, that's not what happened. The Lord Jesus sent him out to the Gentiles. Now, for a Jew, a religious Pharisaical Jew, to leave Israel, to go out into the Gentile world and reach out to the other nations, to reach out to the people with the message of the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, for him to present the truth that the Jew and the Gentile are now one in Christ, that there is no longer any Jew or any Gentile, for him to be able to present the message that he did concerning that, that we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus, for him to experience that, he would have to understand that the Jew was no better than the Gentile, and that the Gentile was no better than the Jew. He would have to understand that in order to reach out to them in the way that he did. Now today we know this is true, although some people seem to live a little bit differently or have a different attitude. Still today in the Christian world, I see so many people who look at the Jews as if they are better than the Gentiles. Gentiles do this all the time, and Jews do this all the time, thinking that, well, they are God's chosen people, and the Lord is using them in a divine way today. Absolutely, there's no question about that, but that doesn't mean that they're any better, or that the Lord looks at them any differently than he does a Gentile. Those of us who are mature in Christ Jesus know this, and don't have a problem with this. But the Jews during the time of the Lord Jesus did not embrace this very easily. I've explained in previous programs in this series that the apostles, the disciples who walked with Jesus, the apostles who were sent out by Jesus, the people who were believing in the Lord Jesus in Jerusalem, they were still baptizing with the baptism of repentance, the baptism of John. They just simply extended it a little bit and added the truth that the Lord Jesus is the Messiah. That's all that they did for the most part. They still believed that you could not be saved unless you were converted to Judaism as a Gentile, or you rededicated your life to Judaism as a Jew. They believed that all the way up to Acts chapter 10, the revelation was not given to the church until Acts chapter 11, that a Gentile could be saved without first becoming a Jew. The Jews still believed that you had to be a Jew and that there was a uniqueness, that you were special, that there was something about you being a Jew and that you were separated from the Gentiles. In that way, they were still elevating the Jew above the Gentile. So when the Apostle Paul began his ministry, he explained very clearly that there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. When John the Baptist was baptizing Jews, he introduced the notion that the Jew was just as unclean as a Gentile. However, Through the baptism of repentance, they felt that they were a recommitted Jew, which again was greater than a Gentile. The apostles still continued that message by baptizing Gentiles and Jews, suggesting that a person needed to become a Jew. To separate from that was very difficult, especially when they were still focused on a life under the law. When Paul was set free... He was able to put the law aside because he had already reached the pinnacle of that. He had already reached great success from other people's point of view, that is. Great success concerning that. He had already reached the highest levels of obedience to the law. It was easy for him to put the entire thing aside. And when you put that aside, the very definition of a Jew at that time, the very definition of an Israelite and a life of Judaism 
no longer existed because there was no law available to live by to define your existence. When the Apostle Paul went out into the Gentile world, he brought this message. He brought this message to the Jew and to the Gentile that the Jew is not any better than the Gentile and the Gentile is not any better than the Jew and that this is not about trying to make a Jew into a Gentile and this is not about trying to make a Gentile into a Jew that there is a new creation in Christ Jesus that now is through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and the new life according to the new covenant is a life of peace and rest separated from the religion of the Jews, separated from the religion of the Gentiles. So this is the point, and that is that when Paul was baptized, when he was baptized after he was set free from his blindness, he was not baptized with the baptism of repentance, not the baptism of repentance of John the Baptist, not the baptism of repentance of the apostles in Jerusalem. He was not baptized to rededicate his life to the life that he was already living before. He was not baptized into a life of repentance and obedience. This baptism was the first baptism that was unique. Others were baptized into a life of repentance. The Apostle Paul had already been living a life of repentance. So when he was baptized, he wasn't baptized into a life of repentance. He was baptized out of his Judaism. That's the baptism of Paul. The baptism of Paul was unique. I sincerely believe that his baptism was not a baptism into Judaism. He had already been there. He had already done that. He was already well known for that and highly respected for that. What more would he add to his way of life? No more. There was nothing more. And so his baptism was a baptism out of Pharisaical Judaism. It was out of the Old Covenant. It was a baptism of conversion into the Lord Jesus as the Messiah according to the New Covenant, not according to the Old. Now, I'm not saying this in order to tell you that there is now a new baptism that we now perform to baptize people into the New Covenant. This is not what I'm saying. I'm only saying that we cannot assume that Paul was being baptized for the same reason that the apostles were. We cannot assume that he allowed himself to be baptized for the same purpose, for the same objective, for the same goals, because he'd already been there, he'd already been doing that. There was nothing left but for him to be baptized out of it, to be baptized out of being a Jew, not to be a Gentile, not to be baptized into being a Gentile, no, but to be baptized out of Pharisaical Judaism, out of the life of the Old Covenant, out of the life of repentance and obedience, to be baptized out of that, to now walk in the new covenant. Now again, I'm not saying this to suggest that we have a new baptism that everybody needs to perform in order to enter into the new covenant. I'm not suggesting that. That he was not repenting from his sins. He was not repenting from his failure to obey the commandments of Moses. He was repenting from his belief He was turning away from all that he had believed before, and he's now going to walk into what he is going to believe now. He is going to be converted away from Moses and to the Lord Jesus as his Messiah. So when he baptized people during his ministry, 
This is what I personally see. I see that when he baptized people, he baptized people who were for the most part Jews. As you continue to read about his ministry in the book of Acts, you can see him going to the synagogue, speaking with the Jews. The Jews would believe and they were baptized, but they were not baptized into a life of repentance and obedience to the law, not the baptism of John for repentance. He was baptizing people out of that life. He was baptizing them out of Judaism. Most of them were proselytes who had been baptized into Judaism. He then rebaptized them out of Judaism, which certainly was not required. I personally believe that that was something that they were doing, not something that he was encouraging or that he was doing as a requirement of some kind. It's my sincere belief that his baptism was a baptism of getting the Jews out of Judaism, getting the Gentiles out of their life under their pagan gods, that he was doing so under his own beliefs, which was to step away from the baptism of repentance that they would have known. So when the religious Jews who rejected Jesus saw this happening, they would have remembered when these proselytes were baptized into Judaism, and now they would be witnessing their proselytes being baptized out of their Judaism to walk in the new covenant according to the gospel that was revealed exclusively to the Apostle Paul. I do believe that the Lord communicated his gospel to others, but from Paul's testimony, he said that he received it exclusively from the Lord Jesus himself. And so he was presenting this exclusive gospel that the Lord Jesus revealed to him, he presented this to the world wherever he went, and people were identified with it. And it is a life of being led and guided by the Holy Spirit on the basis of what Jesus has already accomplished for us and on the basis of what he has already given to us because of what he did, not because of what we do. This is the baptism of Paul. It's very difficult for many people to embrace this, unfortunately, and I believe the reason why is because there are a lot of people who believe that our life in Christ has to do with living a life of repentance and obedience to his commandments, to his ordinances, to his principles for daily living. The baptism of repentance of John the Baptist is consistent with the message that is being taught in Christianity today. And this is why I believe it's difficult for many people to understand the baptism of Paul in this context. But I will continue with this subject in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net